Welcome to the Denton's Employment and Labor Podcast. I am your host, Alison Walsh. I am a partner and lawyer in the Denton's Employment and Labor Group. This is the second of a three-part series on investigations in the workplace. Today, we'll discuss how to conduct an effective investigation. For this series, I'm joined by Jenny Wong, an associate in the Labor and Employment Group from Denton's Edmonton office. Jenny will be guiding the direction of the discussion and I'll be sharing my expertise. Thanks, Alison. For the first part of the series, we discuss preliminary matters relating to workplace investigations. Today's discussion concerns the actual investigation. The workplace investigation process begins when an employer receives a complaint and determines that it is necessary to proceed with an investigation. Although not always necessary, the employer may need to ensure that the complainant and the respondent don't come into contact with each other until the investigation is completed. What are some options an employer can consider? So depending on the relationship between the parties, as well as the type of work they may be engaged in, there are some possible solutions. So you could temporarily reassign either one or both the individuals to either other areas of your workplace or even other positions. You may want to reschedule hours of work to minimize potential contact between the parties. You could reassign client responsibilities um, pending the outcome of the investigation. You could remove responsibilities um, for the respondent with respect to any supervisory duties he has regarding the complainant. And another option is also placing the respondent on a paid leave until the investigation is concluded. If the parties are unionized, the employer will also have to consider any applicable representation rights that the respondent may have. The employer should make sure that they review their collective agreement to this respect. And when in doubt, the union steward should be invited to the investigation meeting of the respondent. So there are several preliminary steps in the investigative process before conducting any interviews. One of the first steps is to notify the involved parties. Is there any information that you recommend employers communicate to these people? So firstly, the employer should communicate to the complainant that they take their complaint very seriously. They should outline to the complainant how the investigation is going to be conducted. So who is going to conduct the investigation? Is it going to be an internal or an external investigator? What timeline they are going to conduct the investigation on? And if there's going to be any temporary changes to the complainant's employment? They should remind the complainant that there should be full cooperation in the investigation, that there should be no interference with the investigation, in particular, you know, no conversations with potential witnesses, and also remind them that there should, they should experience no retaliation as a result of participating in the complaint. After notifying the complainant, the respondent also has to be informed about the complaint, the fact that obviously the complaint has been made against them and that an investigation will occur. And similar information that I outlined with respect to the complainant should also be communicated to the respondent. So after the parties have been notified, the investigator should set out a plan for conducting the investigation. And the plan should establish what is being investigated, the resources needed to conduct the investigation, and the evidence that needs to be gathered. Can you elaborate a little bit on what that means? So generally, the complaint should be commenced promptly and completed within a reasonable time. And a proper plan can be of a great assistance in this regard. The plan should reflect the employer's policies governing workplace investigations, including any timelines that you may have in place for your policy. The plan should set out who the investigator needs to interview, should choose a suitable location for these interviews to take place. 
You should prepare an outline on any topics and questions that the investigator wishes to discuss with the parties and identify what witnesses will be interviewed. In addition to outlining the type of oral evidence you're going to gather, the plan should also set up what kind of documentary evidence you should be reviewing. So this would be policies, any employee training records on those policies, communications between the parties. So this could be in emails, text messages, any photos, and also any surveillance tapes. If there's urgency and time constraints that may impact your ability to effectively plan, it's still important for the investigator to make a basic plan and you can then revisit that plan throughout the process of the investigation. So after the interviewees are identified, is there an interview order that you would recommend? As a general rule of thumb, I would recommend beginning with the complainant's interview, then the respondent's interview, followed by any witnesses. However, before the respondent is interviewed, they should be given notice of the interview and a summary of the allegations against them. It may also be necessary to follow up with the complainant and the respondent so that they have an opportunity to respond to anything that may have been revealed during the course of the interviews. After the plan is completed and the investigator begins the interviews, they can start each interview in a similar fashion. So the investigator should begin by firstly explaining the process and the role of the investigator and any note taker present, reminding the individual regarding the purpose of the interview, emphasizing confidentiality and explaining to the witnesses that the interview should be kept confidential and they should not discuss their testimony with others, explaining that proper investigation depends on complete and accurate answers to questions and indicating that any reprisals for participating in the investigation will absolutely not be tolerated. Further considerations come into play after this initial introduction. Is there anything specific you would like to know, depending on whether the investigator is interviewing the complainant, the respondent, or simply a witness? So when the interviewer is interviewing the complainant, they want to make sure that they are covering all the material allegations with sufficient detail. So this can be done by using seven W questions. So who said or did the alleged conduct? What was said or done? To whom was it said or done? Where did the conduct occur? When did the conduct occur? So date and time. Why did this happen? And are there any witnesses? So who saw the conduct and what did they say or do? When interviewing the respondent, the investigator should again inquire with respect to all the material allegations. It's very important that the respondent has an opportunity to respond to all of the allegations against them and to share their versions of events. The seven W questions may also provide assistance here where additional information may need to be clarified with the respondent. If a union representative is present, they may take notes, but they should not interfere with the investigation process. When interviewing witnesses, the investigator needs to be very careful about what they should disclose during the interview. So an example would be sometimes you can frame your questions to ask information without necessarily revealing the names of the complainant or the respondent. Revealing details about the allegations to the witness can possibly taint the investigation procedure, and it also can be damaging to the complainant's or respondent's reputation. So as much information that you can maintain the confidentiality of, the better. What information should be communicated at the conclusion of the interview? So at the end of the interview, the investigator 
should have a summary question, basically asking the individual, is there anything else that they'd like to add? Is there anything important that didn't come up during the interview? They may want to have the interviewee or witness review a statement and sign and confirm that this is their evidence. This, however, can result in some delay and it may lead to some back and forth in terms of corrections and changes to the evidence and may even result in the parties changing their evidence. The investigator should also ask that individual to contact them if they have any additional information that they think of after the interview concludes. And again, confidentiality is always very important. So you should remind the individual about the importance and also about non-interference in the investigation and that any reprisals with respect to participating in the investigation will not be tolerated. I think it's also important to mention that throughout the interview process, the investigator should endeavor to project a neutral position. To portray neutrality, the investigator should review their interview outline and ensure that any questions are neutrally framed. They should also avoid asking leading questions that suggest a particular answer or that includes loaded language that may suggest a conclusion has already been made. Do you have any other additional tips or recommendations for this process? Other tactics that an investigator can employ include remembering to remain calm, and also allowing for breaks as required. Ask your questions at a pace that is comfortable. Remember to show respect and be tactful in terms of the investigation. You may want to start with general questions and then move towards specifics with respect to the allegations. If there's any information that comes up during the course of the interview that appears contradictory, make sure you clarify. Also remember to use pauses or silence as a technique. Sometimes an individual will fill in a silence by elaborating on an answer and perhaps reveal more information than they intended. What if during the course of the interview, the matter kind of turns into this he said, she said situation? Credibility is a common issue that investigators have to deal with. What are some ways that investigators can attempt to resolve these contradictions? So there's a number of questions that an investigator can ask themselves to help assess credibility consider, you know, did that witness have an opportunity to gain direct knowledge of events? Were they able to clearly describe what they saw or heard? Do they lack a material interest in the outcome of the investigation? If so, this may suggest that they are more neutral or unbiased. You know, consider whether their evidence makes sense. Oh, is it, you know, what a reasonable person would expect in the circumstances? What was the individual balanced in terms of giving their evidence? So one indicator of balance is, is that individual also available to admit their shortcomings? Consider whether they are consistent. You know, if they're asked a question more than once, do they give the same explanation? And also consider, are they giving first half evidence or are they giving hearsay evidence? On the last point there, do you mind explaining what is first-hand evidence and what is hearsay evidence for our listeners? So first-hand evidence is evidence that the individual is sharing based on their personal experience. So for example, I saw A yell at B. Hearsay evidence is evidence that is least once removed. So C told me that A yelled at B. There are reliability issues with hearsay evidence, but if that information seems relevant, then the investigator has to consider, okay, should I go and interview C who will have the first-hand knowledge? 
So, and you mentioned this earlier as well. During the course of the interviews, the investigator may identify additional witnesses, such as C. Given this, when should an investigator conclude the interview process? There's no need for any additional interviews when you're satisfied that all available witnesses who have material evidence have been interviewed. You've asked all the necessary questions of these witnesses. You've gathered up all relevant and available documentary evidence. And you've followed all the steps that are required in your company policy. Investigators, however, should avoid reaching any conclusions until the investigation has been fully completed and all evidence can be reviewed as a whole. What happens if any employee refuses to attend an interview? You can't force an employee to participate in the investigation process. However, if that happens or an employee is refusing, I'd recommend you re-explaining to that employee that the company requires their cooperation in the investigation. If they continue to refuse to participate, it's important to remind them that the interview is an opportunity for them to respond to the allegations against them. And you should also expressly remind the individual that if they refuse to participate, that the company will have to make a determination without their input and based on the evidence that they have gathered. At the end of the day, the employee may still refuse to participate. And in those circumstances, all you can do is just document that refusal and the fact that you explained you know, the consequences of the employee not participating. Thanks, Allison. Just to summarize today's session, you explained considerations with respect to conducting the investigation. And specifically, you provided a number of recommendations for interviewing the involved parties. What can we expect for the third part to the series? In part three of this series, we will discuss the investigation report and the consequences that may follow depending on the conclusions reached. Thanks to everyone for joining us today, as always. We encourage you to reach out to us with any questions you have on workplace investigations or any other employment-related questions. Dentons is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see dentons.com for legal notices. Mm-hmm.